Prayer was the very first spiritual discipline I worked really hard at when I committed my life to Jesus. Despite being raised in church, I really did not know what it meant or how to be a Christian. All I really knew was that I was supposed to read my Bible and I was supposed to pray. I knew how to read my Bible. I was a reader always my life. I, I liked to read, so reading my Bible was never really a problem. But prayer, I didn't know how to pray. Everything about prayer seemed strange. It seemed awkward and it seemed uncomfortable. Yes, I had been raised in church and had prayed in church, or I had not prayed, but other people had prayed in church. But praying on my own in my private time, it felt so very awkward in my life. So I chose not to do it, or at least not to do it very consistently. Um, And then there came a point where I knew that had to change, and so I began to try to work hard at developing a, a consistent prayer life. Now, chances are, some in here can relate to this. You know that prayer is important to have a thriving relationship with Jesus, but prayer seems awkward. It seems uncomfortable, and it seems strange. So you don't pray, or at least you don't do it consistently. But you also recognize that this hinders your relationship with Jesus, because a relationship is built largely on communication. We talk to Him, He talks to us. That's how we grow in our relationship with Christ. And we don't want that. Most of us want to have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know that a consistent prayer life is necessary for that to happen. But we don't know how to start. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at teaching from Jesus on how disciples of Jesus pray. It's not going to give us an outline to follow as much as it's going to give us just a the ways that we're supposed to pray. My, my prayer for this sermon is that it would help us all to have a deep and a thriving prayer life and help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So open your Bible to Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 7. That should be on page 737 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Matthew 6 and 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Praying Like a Disciple. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, today as we look at your word and we look at what Jesus has for us, help us to take it, to apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to be able to to use this as a model for how we should pray. And Lord, strengthen all of our prayer lives. Lord, no matter how consistent our prayer lives is, we all would say that it could be better and we would like it to be more. So, Father, use this time today to strengthen us in our prayer life. Use this time today to draw us closer to you. Use 
this time today to help us to have a a deeper, richer prayer life that better enables us to be lights in the world that shine brightly for Jesus. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Father, I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way in all of our hearts and all of our lives. We ask in the mighty name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of the hardest messages I've ever had to prepare. Not because I didn't understand what the passage said, but because it would be so easy to preach on this passage for much longer than what we have time for. A friend of mine reminded me on Facebook last night that one of the very first sermons I ever preached, in fact, the first sermon at my home church I ever preached, was on the Lord's Prayer. It, was on, it had 15 pages of notes. I don't have 15 pages of notes this morning. Um, but I could easily spend six weeks, one week on each aspect of this prayer, uh, but we don't have time to do that to finish before Easter. And so I've had to condense it down to a, a manageable amount. So I'm going to try to give some that I hope will be a helpful amount, but know that there's more. That there's much, much more to everything I'm going to say this morning than I could possibly communicate in one service. Now, in Matthew 6 and 5, Jesus said we are not to pray like the hypocrites. Right? We're not to go out in public and make a big show of how we pray. Rather, we're to go away in private. We're to go secretly and pray. And our Father who sees in secret, He will reward us openly. Right? Then in verse 7, He says, And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Now, I've heard this particular passage used and abused by Bible teachers, particularly on the radio, uh, many times. And what they teach is that what this passage is saying, what Jesus says is that you pray for something once and done. Right? That if you pray for it more than once, you're using vain repetition and you're praying without faith. Now, let me say that's, that's not even close to what Jesus is talking about here. Again, we don't have time, but if we were to look at Luke 18, Jesus tells us that we are to pray with persistence. Later in Matthew 7, we're going to see that we're to pray with persistence. Right? So that's not what he's saying. He's not saying when you pray, pray for it once, leave it there, and never come back and pray for it again. Rather, what he's saying is that when we pray, we're not to disengage our minds and play a recorded prayer. Now, how many of us, we have a recorded prayer of some sort. Right, if I were to call on you to bless the meal. How many of you have the same prayer that you pray every time you bless the meal somewhere? Right? We, we have a recording. We, we have been taught a specific prayer. Or we have prayed the same things in the same way enough times that we, we can disengage our brains and we can say all of those things. And what Jesus is saying is, don't pray that way. Right? When you pray... Don't disengage your brain. When you pray, don't go through the motions of prayer. When you pray, your, your heart, your mind, your will, your everything is to be engaged as you're praying so that you do not go through the motions. Right? Therefore, don't be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. We'll come back to that point later. But rather than to pray with mindless repetition... We're to pray sincerely. Right? In that, then in the ser- what we call the, the Lord's Prayer, He teaches us to pray specifically. Right? So how do disciples pray according to Jesus? Well, disciples pray secretly 
Disciples pray sincerely. And disciples pray specifically. Now that's the, that is the model of our prayer. Right? And again, I don't have time to get into this, but not praying in public doesn't mean we can't, not praying in public doesn't mean we can't pray in public. It means we don't make a show of it. At the same time, I think it would mean that we don't only pray in public. If the only time I pray is when people see me, that's part of what Jesus is talking about. So there needs to be a time where it is just me and Jesus and no one else sees. Right? There also needs to be sincerity in my prayer. Right? I don't just plug in a tape recording and recite the same things from memory as I do every single day of the week and, and it never flow through my mind or my heart what I'm praying. And then we don't, we don't just ramble. We pray specifically. We have a, a thought to how we ought to pray. And I want to give you, there's, I think, what is there, six, seven points, which is not nearly as long as it looks, on your handout to pray. First, the ways to do it. Focus on God. Right? That's how we, the first way that we pray secretly, sincerely, and specifically is we focus on God. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. Right? One of the most important aspects of prayer is knowing who it is that we're talking to. Right? When we pray, we are praying to God. And that's, I think, significant. Because nowhere in Scripture are we encouraged to pray to angels. Nowhere in Scripture are we encouraged to pray to saints that have passed on before us. Nowhere in Scripture are we encouraged to pray to our ancestors. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to pray to anyone but God. That's it. We focus on God because God is who we are praying to. He is the object of our prayer. The one we are communicating with. Now, not only are we praying to God, but Jesus says we are to pray to God as our Father. Now, this would have been mind-blowing to the Jews of Jesus' day. They, they, they saw God as the father of the nation of Israel. But none of them would have specifically said, God is my father. To them, that was making themselves equal with God. And yet, what Jesus teaches is we are to pray to God as our father. Now, that's, that communicates relationship. Right? That communicates to us that we are talking to someone who loves us, who cares about us, who wants our best in life. In a lot of ways, you could say prayer is nothing more than talking to our Father. And if we really see it like that, it can be revolutionary to our prayer life. Right? Because the way, the reason that prayer seems awkward or strange is because we, we don't know how to pray. We, we're, we're, we think we're supposed to say the right words and do it in the right way. I always laugh when I go back to the state meeting, and I don't laugh in a bad way. I don't mean it like that. But when you hear older preachers pray, they pray in King James English, right? Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thou art awesome and mighty, great in power. And I listen to them pray and I think, that is amazing. I wish I could pray like that. I wish I could do that. But I don't even know half the words they use when they're praying like that. Right? For me, that's not the way I would pray. 
And when you try to say, well, I'm going to pray the way that they pray. I'm going to use the words that they use. What we find is it's always going to be awkward. It is always going to be strange because that's not the way that we talk. When we pray, we're talking to our father and we should talk to God like he's our father. I prayed with a teenager a few weeks ago. And as he was praying to recommit his life to Jesus, he said, God, I want to be tight with you like I was years ago. Now, I wouldn't pray like that. But he did. I mean, that was a heart prayer from this kid. But that was the way that he communicated with his father. Not the words I would use, but genuine, heartfelt, sincere prayer. Prayer is talking to our father. So that means we don't have to, to try to be formal. That means we don't have to try to use religious sounding phrases or use exactly the right word. Simply talking to our father about our needs our concerns, and our relationship. And that frees prayer from being strange or awkward or uncomfortable. Now, Jesus does say our Father in heaven. And the in heaven part is also significant. Because while we are praying to our Father, He is also God. That's huge. Right? While God is our Father, our Father is is God. He's not our equal. He's not our homeboy. He is the almighty God of the universe. And when we talk about God, there are two theological terms that are often used to describe the the presence of God. One is was eminence, and it refers to that God is with us, right? That he is close, he is present in our lives, he is personal. To us. He is our father. Now the other is transcendence. Transcendence of God refers to him being other than us. He is different than we are. He is holy. He is perfect. He is higher than us. Now think about God telling Isaiah that just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's the picture that that God is great. And awesome. And yes, we get to talk to him. And yes, he is our father. But he is still God. And we can't get out of balance with the eminence of God or the transcendence of God. And and it's easy to do. because Holding those things in tension, in balance, is far more difficult than it sounds. Because I think the church typically goes like a pendulum. It swings. Right, so if you look back at the Puritan days and some of the Puritan writings, their God was transcendent. He was other. He was awesome. He was holy. But when you read what they had to say, I'm not even sure their God cared about them. I mean, that dude was always looking for a reason to smite them, right? I mean, he was just waiting for the right reason to get them. But then when you swing over to what we see often in our day, well, God is just our homeboy and he's just like us. Oh, dear friend, not even close is our God like us. In fact, one of the Psalms says one of the mistakes people make that leads to judgment is you think God is altogether like you. So we have to hold those in tension. He is close and he is present and we have a real relationship with him. But at the same time, he is God, the sovereign ruler of the universe. 
And that has to come into play in our prayers as well. Prayer starts by recognizing who it is we are talking to. It is our Father. It is our Father in Heaven. He loves us with a perfect love. He knows all of our needs, all of our concerns, and all of our burdens. And He cares about those things. He is able to be with us no matter where we are or what we're doing. He is all-powerful and He can do anything that needs to be done. This is why prayer is such a privilege, such an awesome and a great privilege. So pray secretly, pray sincerely, pray specifically, and then focus on connecting with God. Secondly, spend time in worship. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow God's name is to declare His greatness and His worthiness. So what we want to do is spend some time in our prayers praising and worshiping God for who He is and for what He's done. But again, we remember who we're talking to. This is the great and the awesome God of the Bible who spoke worlds into existence, who loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins and chooses to adopt us as His children and be our Heavenly Father. Keep in mind, prayer is an encounter with the living God. How, how amazing that is. So we need to ensure that our prayer life is made up of more than, Lord, give me this. Lord, bless me here. Lord, do that. We'll get to that. That's a definite part of prayer. Don't get me wrong. But our prayer needs to be made up also of time worshiping and praising God for who He is. And I'll be honest with you, this is the part of my prayer time that I have the hardest time with. Not because I don't recognize the greatness and worthiness of God, but because I struggle with finding the, the right words to say, to declare God's greatness without saying the same things over and over again. I mean, I, I know... There's nothing wrong with saying, I love you, Lord, over and over. Lord, you are awesome and mighty, great and worthy. I know that. But boy, it just seems to me that my God deserves more than that from me. And so I, I struggle in that in my prayer life. I heard a guy pray once or preach once. And he said, if I had an hour to pray, I would spend 10 minutes asking God for requests and 50 minutes praising him. And I thought, oh, that's how I want to pray. I want to know better how to praise and worship the Lord. But since I find it hard to find the right words, something I have done to help is I go to the Psalms and I use them. Right? Many of the Psalms are, written, are prayers that were written out. They were often used as songs of worship. Right? So what I do is I do one of two things. I have a, a, pray, a psalm a day that I pray. Uh, I try to pray. There's five psalms given. And I try to pick one of them to pray throughout the day. Or I just find one I like. Sometimes I just like a particular psalm because it expresses the cry of my heart. And I will, I will either read that to God because that's a prayer of, to, and praise to God from His Word so I know it's acceptable. Or I will use those words and, and kind of let it form the words that I'm going to say the way I'm going to pray. And to me that's something that I find helpful in seeking to praise God. We pray, we need to make sure there is a, a period, a, a point in which we 
We aren't asking for anything. We aren't confessing sin. We are just declaring the goodness, the greatness, the worthiness of our God. So we pray secretly. Disciples pray secretly, sincerely, and specifically. And that includes spending time in worship. Thirdly, pray for God's will to be done. Verse 10, Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is especially one I wanted to spend much more time on than I have, but I am very limited on time. But there is more to this than I'm going to be able to get across today. To pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done is huge. We pray for the kingdom to come. We are basically praying for God's rule and reign to be evident in the world around us. When we're praying for the kingdom to come, we are praying for God's will to be done for the situation in which we're praying. Now, now God's will is perfect, right? And the world is not. And what happened was, the world was created very good. And then humans sinned, and everything went crossways after that. When the kingdom comes, everything that's wrong will be set right. Right? When you look at Jesus' ministry, He forgave sins, which was the kingdom coming. It was setting things that went wrong right. He healed the sick. That was the kingdom coming. That was Him setting things that had gone wrong right. He multiplied food so that starving people could eat because starving people was not a part of God's plan. And so he was, the kingdom was coming. And it was setting right things that went wrong. So when we are praying for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for the way things were meant to be to happen. In that situation. In that life. In that family. In whatever it is we're praying for. We're praying for God's perfect will to be done in that. Now we often get messed up. When we start praying for God's will. Because I know for me, I've often prayed for God's will. And what I've done, when I've prayed about a situation that's a hard situation somebody's going through. Whether it's, no matter what you think of that's going on. And in the end, I said, but your will be done. And what I've meant by this, maybe you've never done it, but what I've meant by this. Is, one, I don't know your will in this situation, God. And two, whatever happens, it, it must be your will. Has anybody else ever prayed that way? Pray God's will about a situation. That's what you've meant by it. What if I told you that in in many, if not most, situations, we can know what God's will is? And that not everything that happens is God's will. I've come to believe that the church of Jesus Christ as a whole has become too accepting of things that are not God's will. There are some things that we tend to accept as God's will, or that's just how it is, or there's not anything that we can do, when they are clearly, when you look at Scripture, not God's will. And that sort of resignation, that sort of giving up and throwing up our hands, that is not a your kingdom come, your will be done kind of prayer. 
When we pray for God's kingdom to come into a situation, we are praying for God to powerfully move into the situation and to do now, right? For your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth right now as it will be in heaven, as it will be when the kingdom fully comes. So how do we know? How do we know what to pray in a given situation? How do we know what God's will is and what we're supposed to pray? We look to Scripture. Scripture perfectly reveals to us the will, the want, and the mind of God. And what Scripture says, I can say, this is God's will. And I'm praying for that to be done. Let me just give you one example. I had like so many, but I just have time for one. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Seeing people enslaved to sin. So, if you have someone in your life you're praying for, and they're living in sin... Is that God's will? Can that ever, in any situation, can we say, well, that must be the will of God? No. It is never God's will for a human being to be enslaved in sin. It is never God's will for someone to live a sinful life. Jesus came to destroy that and to set captives free. So when we pray for someone enslaved in sin, we don't pray, God, pull him out of this if that's your will. No, it is His will. It is never His will for them to be enslaved in sin. So we pray, deliver them, pull them out. Let Jesus show Himself mighty by lifting them up out of that. We pray boldly, confidently, passionately about these things. Because we know the will of God about them. It is the will of God that all people be saved. It is the will of God that our marriages be strong and healthy. It is the will of God about any number of things that we can know. And we should look at that, find that, and pray for that to be done in that situation. That is praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, right now, as it will be in heaven. Many, many more examples could be given. But all of it is found in Scripture. Which reveals to us perfectly the will, the want, and the mind of God. When we pray for those things to be done, we are praying for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We miss a powerful prayer help when we don't pray Scripture. When we don't pray for it to be done. When we don't pray for God's will to happen right now as it is intended to be. There are times where we don't know God's will. And I don't have time to get into that today. But if Scripture has spoken, we know God's will. And we pray for that to be done. So we pray secretly, sincerely, specifically. And we do that praying for God's will to be done. Fourthly, pray for my needs. Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Pray for God to provide for our daily needs. They may be physical, spiritual, emotional, or financial, but we pray for them. God wants to provide for His children. God's a Father. That's what fathers do. 
God is able to provide for His children. So we pray. Now there are a few quick truths I want to mention about this as we move on. Because we're most familiar with praying for our needs. First, I want you to put out of your mind any thought that praying for yourself is selfish or greedy. I've had people tell me I don't like to pray for myself because I feel selfish. I have maybe so much and other people have so little. I feel it's wrong to pray for myself. This idea, this wrong idea, is fueled by a misunderstanding of God's invitation. God invites us to cast our cares upon Him. Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. If God invites us to pray for these things, then God wants us to pray for these things. But there is nothing wrong, sinful, selfish, greedy about praying for God to provide for us. Remember that the book of James says, very often we have not because we ask not. How many blessings, how many things does God stand ready to give us that we do not experience or we do not receive simply because we didn't ask? God is our Father. If we ask for something He doesn't want to give, do you know what He'll do? He'll say no. And then He'll move on. He's not going to slap us. He's not going to break our legs. He's not going to smite us. He'll just say no. Don't be afraid to ask for these things. Don't be afraid to pray for these things. God delights. We'll see in Matthew 7 that, that God delights to give good things to His children. Because it results in our worshiping Him and our thanking Him and our, our loving Him. And that's all things that God wants. Also reject the idea that we're bothering God with our quote-unquote trivial problems. This wrong idea is fueled by a misunderstanding of God's love and concern for His children. Again, Peter says we are to cast all of our cares upon Him for He cares for us. All of our cares. What's all? What's all? I mean, it means that there is nothing that is too small for us to take to the Lord in prayer. That is a verse, 1 Peter 5, 7 is one to burn into your minds. God invites us, cast all of your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Our Heavenly Father cares about His children. And if it's a concern to us, it's a concern to Him. There is nothing too trivial to take to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Because He loves us. And He wants us to come to Him for these sort of things. And then finally, telling our Heavenly Father what we need is expressing dependence upon Him. Alright, look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, the, heat, the vain repetitions of the heathen. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. God already knows all of the needs that we have, whether it's financial, physical, emotional, or spiritual. So why do we, why do we ask God for them if He already knows? Because it's an expression of dependence. In some ways, it's an act of humility. You know, some people will not ask for help no matter what because they won't humble themselves enough to say, I need another person's help. There are some people that are Christians like that. They won't bow the knee to God even, so to speak, to say, God, I need your help for something I cannot provide. And there is something humbling about going to God and saying, 
do this, provide that. I can't help me. And I think God expects that from us. That is an element of submission to Him as, as God. To say, I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And an unwillingness to humble ourselves in that way, no matter how we justify it, no matter how we describe it, it is nothing but pride. And pride in any form will always keep us from God. It will drive us from His presence. Where humble dependence upon God draws us closer to Him. We don't pray for our needs and concerns. When we don't pray for our needs and concerns, we are in a way, we're doing two things. One, we're just telling God, I really don't need you that much. And two, we are depriving God of an opportunity to glorify Himself by providing for the things that we need. To show us how much He loves us, how much He cares for us, that He would hear our prayer and answer in a very specific way. So how do we pray as disciples? We pray secretly, sincerely and specifically, and we pray for our needs. Fifth, seek and extend forgiveness. Here's where it gets hard. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are to seek forgiveness for our sins and extend forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. Now, for our part, when we confess our sins, we're acknowledging them. And we're asking God to forgive us. Now, with genuine confession, there are no qualifiers, right? So when I'm confessing my sin and seeking forgiveness, I can't say, I know I did this, but look at what they did. I know it was bad, but like I just have to say I did it. It was my fault. It was bad. Right? It was against you. I can't make any justifications or any qualifiers. When I'm doing that, I'm not confessing my sins. I'm not seeking forgiveness. I'm seeking justification. And God will never justify our sins. He will never accept our reasons why our sin is okay. If we want forgiveness, we must confess. Now, there is a promise associated with confession. When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. Because it's written to believers. It's not a, hey, come to Christ kind of verse. It is a, you're a believer, you're following Jesus. When you sin, confess your sin, and God will forgive you. Now, as we seek mercy for ourselves, we are to extend mercy to others as well. Now, depending on your personality type, this could be the hardest part of prayer. And forgive us our debts. Look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as or in the same way that we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our sins in exactly the same way we forgive those who have sinned against us. I mean, that's that's hard. But it gets even harder. Look at verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Well, that's a hooray. Verse 16, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Well, now that's where it gets hard. It's hard for me 
I, I come from a, a long line of grudge holders. I remember the face of the kid who pulled me off the slide when I was in the first grade. I probably don't remember the name, but if I saw him again, I'd recognize him. Have forgiveness issues. Maybe you're like that as well. You know how to hold a grudge against someone who has wronged you. Then like me, you need to take very seriously what Jesus says here. He says that we must forgive them just as He has forgiven us. And in fact, He says that the way we ask for forgiveness is that we are asking God to forgive us in exactly the same way that we are forgiving others. But what if I'm not forgiving others? Then in what way am I asking God to forgive me? I'm really not, am I? And then He brings it back again in verse 15 and says, if you don't forgive, God will not forgive. If we hold a grudge, then God does not give us mercy and grace in that time of need. Well, that's a hard statement, isn't it? So the question we want to have to wrestle with is, does, what does Jesus mean here? I mean, does he, he mean what He says? Or does He mean something different? I mean, does He really mean that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us? I think we should always, when studying Scripture, err on the side of plain. If the meaning is plain, then seek no other meaning, even if the plain meaning is hard. So does Jesus mean here that if I don't forgive, if I hold a grudge against red for what he has done against me, God will not forgive me for my sins? That is exactly what Jesus means there. When we choose to hold a grudge... We are choosing to separate ourselves from God. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we do not get to hold grudges. We do not get to harbor unforgiveness. We do not get to allow bitterness to sink into our hearts and defile us. We must forgive. Now when we forgive... We aren't saying that what they did wasn't real. We aren't saying what they did wasn't bad. We aren't even saying that they deserve to be forgiven. We're simply saying that we are going to offer them the same mercy that God has offered us. And just quickly, there are good reasons why we do this. Pragmatic reasons. If I'm holding a grudge against Gerald, who's losing sleep? Who's getting sick over it? Who is having their life upset when Gerald walks into the room? Gerald or me? Me. He's probably not even bothered. He may not even know what he's done or he may not care. It's bothering me. It's stealing my peace. It's stealing my sleep. If I don't forgive Gerald, whose relationship with God is hindered? Mine or Gerald's? Mine. Mine, Gerald's going on fine. He is not bothered. His relationship with God isn't hindered. Mine is. Right? And the reality is, other people aren't worth that. 
holding a grudge and the effect it has upon me, those people are not worth hindering my relationship with Jesus. They are not worth hindering my ability to pray and see God answer. They are not worth the stress and the ulcers and the other things that it brings into my life. The defilement that Hebrews 13 says or 12 says will come when I harbor a grudge, forgiveness, and it brings bitterness into my heart. It will defile me. They're not worth being spiritually defiled. And what may have to happen, depending on what's been done, is we may have to pray and ask God to help us to forgive them over and over and over again. Not because forgive someone, it's really not as easy as me saying, hey, you need to forgive them. Oh, okay, I'll just flick a switch and now it's all done. It doesn't work that way. We may have to go to God and say, God, I don't want to forgive them. I'm angry. I'm bitter. But I don't want that to be a hindrance to you. Lord, heal my heart. Take that away. Enable me. Give me grace to forgive. And I think God honors that. God honors the desire and willingness to do His will. Even if we don't want to because of what they've done. And He will bring healing. He will bring cleansing. He will enable us. To forgive. But as we pray, we do have to seek forgiveness and we have to extend it to others. Sixthly, pray for spiritual strength and protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, there's more here than I could possibly cover today. But just the very basics of this. That we are asking God to guide us in the right way. Psalm 23 says that Jesus leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In a lot of ways, do not lead me into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one is just saying, lead me in your righteousness. Right? It is leading me to do your will in all things. This prayer is prayed by those who not only have a head knowledge of the reality of sin around them, but also by those whose heart knows the devastation of sin, has seen it either in their life or in the life of others. They're praying to be delivered from that. Keep us from that. We are all tempted by sin in one way or another. The temptation itself is not the sin. It's the giving in to the temptation that's the sin. We all have something that's wrong that pulls at us. So rather than praying a generic prayer, God, keep me from sin. I think what we should do is we should pray specifically. Because again, since we're all pulled by something, I bet if we were to be honest and could be free, you know what your primary temptation is. The number one thing that draws you, maybe the top four things, we know, we're aware of. I think very rarely do we give in to a sin and then go, whew, I never thought I never thought that would happen. When we do, we go, man, again, same thing again. So we pray specifically. This is an area I'm tempted by, God. Today, help me make the right decision. Today, help me not to give in to this temptation. Change my heart so that it don't, I don't desire it. Change my will so that I won't do it. But we also pray that if the temptation comes, that we will escape it. Because God has promised 
that there is a way of escape for every temptation. That there is no temptation taken us except it is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation that comes into your life is resistible if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. No matter what temptation comes into your life, there is a way for you to respond and not give in to it if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. No disciple of Jesus Christ is ever backed into a corner where the only option is sin. God has promised there is always a way out. Now that doesn't mean God's going to remove the temptation necessarily. He may not. But it does mean He will protect us so that we're not overwhelmed by the the temptation. We have no power to resist it. And He will also make sure there is a way that we can escape it. We never have to give in to temptations as disciples of Jesus. So we have to look for that way out that He has given us. So we pray for that. Lord, help me with this particular thing. And if I'm tempted by that today, help me to see my way out. Help me to see what I need to do, what I can do to avoid giving into it. Now, so we, we pray secretly, specifically, sincerely. And we pray in that for spiritual protection and strength. And then finally, pray for others. Notice the wording that Jesus uses throughout the passage. Our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All throughout is the picture of praying for others. Sure, we pray for ourselves. We we don't ever take away from that. But as believers, we're also meant to pray for one another. We pray for each other's needs. We pray for them to have a way of escape. We pray for them to live pure lives. We pray that God would protect them from evil and from temptation. We pray that they would seek forgiveness for their sins. We pray that they would forgive others who have sinned them. Basically, whatever we pray for ourselves, we pray for other people as well. It is right and good to pray for ourselves. We never get away from that. But it is also right and good that we should pray for others. Here's what we're going to do today for a time of response. We're going to pray. It would be silly for me to stand up here and talk about prayer all of this time. And then us not end with a time of prayer. You can pray where you are. You can come to the altars. It doesn't matter. We just want you to pray. And as you pray, focus on the area we talked about today that you need the most help in. Maybe what you need is just to better recognize God as your Father. Talk to Him about what that means. Spend time worshiping Him and Find a psalm that expresses your heart's desire and read that to God or pray that to God. Maybe you are one of the ones that feels you shouldn't pray for yourself. And what you need to do is take some time this morning and and just begin to ask God to help you in the areas you need help in. Maybe there's sin that you need to confess. 
something you habitually give into and you need God to give you the strength to overcome it, to protect you. But whatever, whatever the need, you take time today and you pray about that in this time of prayer. So I ask all that want to to come to the altar or like I said, pray where you are. We just want you to pray in this time.